Welcome to the Think for Yourself podcast, hosted by Dr. Vikram Mancharamani. If you haven't subscribed, please do so via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Podbean. And now, over to Dr. Mancharamani. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the second episode of the Think for Yourself podcast. I'm excited to share with you my thinking in this particular episode about my predictions made more than five years ago. In January of 2015, I wrote a piece called 15 Predictions for 2015 to 2020. And the purpose of this episode is going to be to review those for not only accuracy, but also usefulness. So in the spirit of trying to improve our thinking and our decision-making, let's just turn to those and see how I did. So let's just go ahead and begin. The first prediction I made in January of 2015 was, uh, and I'll repeat all of the predictions here before providing some commentary on how they did. Uh, the first prediction was, cyber risks become a top concern for global boardrooms. Financial regulators begin mandating independent information audits comparable to today's financial audits. National governments create military-like cyber teams to hunt down and bring cyber terrorists to justice. So that's a long-winded prediction now that I realize it uh, five years later, but um, let's just think about what's happened in the world of cyber since January of 2015. Uh, and I'll begin actually with that last part about military-like cyber teams. In fact, in the early stages of the Trump administration, uh, the United States government stood up U.S. Cyber Command uh, and elevated its status within the military. Um, and so if that's not an acknowledgement of national lever cyber uh, attention, I'm not really sure what is. And I know other countries have done similar things. So um, in that sense, uh, cyber has become geopolitically important. In terms of global boardrooms, I think the answer here is probably that, you know, status or the, the worries have risen and risen quite dramatically in corporate boardrooms. Uh, we know that Marriott, Home Depot, Target, uh, Experian, of other companies were probably hacked. Uh, in fact, in some cases, companies probably try to keep release of that information that they were hacked uh, private so as to not uh, worry their customers or uh, encourage other hackers to come and uh, expose their vulnerabilities to the world. We also had ransomware attacks such as the, the famous WannaCry ransomware attack. Um, and of course we had the US election which may have been tampered with in a cyber or disinformation campaign sense. Uh, by the Russians. And so Russian election meddling, while not a directly cyber attack per se, more of an information attack, took place through the use of information technology. And so I would suggest that the cyber risks continue to be an important topic and the prediction probably was useful. Um, let's move to the prediction number two that I made in January of 2015. And that was uh, the United States of Europe fails to congeal as expected, resulting in a slow disintegration of the attempt at political and monetary union. The reemergence of individual currencies proves stabilizing and helps generate economic growth, creating a vicious cycle in which more currencies emerge. Well, if Brexit is any indication, um, 
this process has perhaps begun. I might have been aggressive in it, suggesting that the disintegration on a currency basis would have transpired by 2020. Um, and I think my thinking back then was that perhaps Italy or Greece would feel the need to issue their own currency so they could decouple their monetary policy from that of the European Union so that they could allow um, adjustments made locally to accommodate for their local economic conditions uh, and that would help them reemerge from their financial chaos. That has not happened, uh, but I would suggest it's still likely and, you know, a possible disintegration of Europe, I still think is possible. History has never really had a long-term political union without a monetary union or a long-term monetary union without a political union. The two need to come together. And the attempt of sort of let's have political union first and then have monetary union or let's have monetary union first and then get towards a political union, um, those transitions don't seem to work or haven't at least. Uh, perhaps Europe will be the first experiment that does succeed, but I'm not optimistic. Okay, let's move to prediction number three, which was food prices skyrocket driven by both insatiable animal protein demand from the global middle class, but also weather and politically motivated supply disruptions. Land grabs accelerate with governments of food vulnerable populations buying agricultural resources in foreign nations. Well, specifically relating to food prices, I'd have to say I was probably wrong. Uh, food prices have trickled sideways to slightly up, at least as per the UN Food Price Index. Um, and the demand for animal protein while growing has not resulted in a skyrocketing price of animal protein, with one major exception. Uh, in 2018 into 2019, the African swine fever that spread through the Chinese pork uh, or Chinese pig population resulted in surging pork prices. Uh, so in that sense, uh, it was accurate, but that was not weather or politically motivated supply disruptions. That was a health of the animal supply disruption. As for land grabs, um, one country in the world that has expressed concern uh, for foreign acquisition of its agricultural land has been Australia. We've definitely seen Chinese acquisitions uh, in Southeast Asia accelerate, um, specifically of agricultural resources. And so while that's creating some anxiety, it hasn't really produced major backlashes, at least not on a country to country level. So uh, again, the idea that food prices could rise, I think, is, a, is one that I still believe. I do think uh, protein demand can be the driver of those prices, um, but it's taken longer than I would have expected. Okay, number four. The world begins to see Africa as a collection of 50-plus countries rather than one monolithic entity. Technological innovations such as Kenya's M-Pesa mobile banking system spread globally, and universities and companies begin tapping the massive potential of Africa's human talent. In this regard, I have to say the first sentence of that prediction, which was the world begins to acknowledge Africa as 50 plus nations, has sadly not come true. Um, 
many, many, many people around the world still continue to think of Africa as one nation uh, and fail to see the nuances of North Africa versus Sub-Saharan Africa versus South Africa or Southern Africa or West Africa versus East Africa. And these are very different regions and within each region there are very different countries um, having had the pleasure of serving on the africa opportunity fund board for five plus years uh, i had the chance to visit many parts of africa and in fact met with not only the operators of Mpesa in kenya but also had uh, the real joy of serving as a board observer for the african leadership university uh, which the africa opportunity fund had invested in and there I did see the development of human capital and human talent and tapping into Africa's vast potential uh, of, of human and intellectual resources that had never, had never really been given a great opportunity to develop. And so um, I think in that sense there is uh, optimism that Africa is going in the right direction, albeit with some hiccups. And let's move to prediction number five. A revolution in manufacturing increases productivity and also decreases employment. Robots prove deflationary as the labor component of goods drops and the fall in aggregate workers' income reduces demand for the very goods the robots make. The market for drones booms. Well, in this case, I think I'd have to say that automated manufacturing and the use of robots has gone through the roof. And in fact, that has resulted in job loss. Um, what has not happened is the ability of those workers to find new employment. Um, they have found new employment, and as such, they continue to have the economic resources to purchase the goods made by those robots. Uh, so that perhaps this is a timing-related disruption, or it might be a statement about human ingenuity and the ability of humans and economic systems to adapt. And, uh, and maybe robots will prove to be less disruptive than I had previously feared. Um, I think the, uh, the, the, the verdict is still out. Um, but when it came to the market for drones, I think that has, in fact, exploded. We've seen that Amazon and other large companies are toying with using drones for actual delivery or business purposes. There has been the consideration of individual drones to fly humans around in a transportation sense. Think of it as an individual uh, robotic taxi that takes you to your destination without any traffic. I do think the drone market has boomed and will continue to do so going forward. So let's turn to number six. Central bankers struggle to unwind quantitative easing without generating massive instability. Equities suffer and gold surges as investors lose confidence in responsible central banking. Martin Wolf's, quote, chronic demand deficiency syndrome, quote, worsens. I think this prediction actually, and unfortunately, has proven to be accurate. As central bankers started to unwind quantitative easing during the second half into the uh, fourth quarter of 2018, we saw markets and asset prices um, really disrupted by that action. Liquidity dried up and central bankers um, really around the world felt the need to step in and help stabilize markets by providing support through monetary stimulus. The process of raising rates turned into lowering rates. 
And again, despite what central bankers have called their actions, the money printing, even if not called quantitative easing by them, did get started once again. Gold prices also did surge and have continued to be on their upward march. And uh, Martin Wolf's chronic demand deficiency syndrome worsens, I think, has happened. Um, it's a two-sided coin. You can talk about demand being insufficient to, uh, to meet the supply. The other way to think about that problem is supply has been racing forward, predominantly technology-driven productivity, and as a result, uh, supply and demand are mismatched with excess supply, creating many of these troubles in the world that we feel today. So I think that prediction has proven useful and probably accurate. Number seven, Putin becomes increasingly unpredictable. Does he cut off gas to Europe in the dead of winter? Does this fracture U.S.-European cooperation on economic sanctions, ultimately alleviating Russia of economic pain and further emboldening Russian leadership? In the interim, Putin cozies up to Modi and Xi. Well, this is a really interesting prediction uh, that I made back in 2015, and I would argue that in some senses it's proven accurate that Russia has proven to be unpredictable and has been aggressive, obviously with Ukraine and in that part of the world. But one of the areas where I think uh, Putin's unpredictability uh, was perhaps most elevated was in his meddling or supposed meddling in the US election process. And so the aggressive disinformation campaigns uh, run by the Russians, um, I think is probably uh, an example of um, their increasing aggressiveness. Uh, and prediction number eight was that China posts a GDP growth rate below 5% before a consumption boom drives the economy forward. Demographic policies change and begin encouraging larger families. Saber rattling in the South China Sea and towards Taiwan and Japan distract popular attention away from domestic economic matters. Well, in this regard, I do have to say the Chinese GDP growth rate has been falling quite steadily since 2015. And even if it hasn't hit 5% uh, by 2020, at least not the beginning of 2020, um, the recent coronavirus outbreak in China suggests that they will in fact hit 5% uh, or lower here this, uh, this year, at least in annualized for the first, sec first or second quarter. And so, um, you know, I'm going to claim victory on that one. Uh, as for demographic policies changing, well, that did in fact happen, and they went to a two-child policy. And, um, you know, they haven't felt the need to really uh, rattle the saber quite uh, significantly in the South China Sea, at least not to divert from economic chaos at home. And Taiwan continues to be a sort of under-the-radar issue that is sort of a low-grade fever that I feel is going to surface at some point in some way, but hasn't yet. Um, I think it's worth watching what happens with U.S.-China uh, relations and specifically how the Taiwan issue factors in there, because I do think that'll become increasingly important. Okay, prediction number nine, and this one is fascinating to me, uh, even looking back five years after the fact, because um, here's what I said back then. I said, Ebola is contained, but another, 
parentheses, this time airborne parentheses, epidemic rears its ugly head. The global public health community again scrambles, parentheses, and again succeeds, parentheses, to avert a global disaster that might have threatened millions of lives. Middle East respiratory syndrome, question mark. And so, you know, I had been studying pandemic risk for years and still continued to. And um, it was my belief that MERS, uh, the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, was a candidate for spreading globally. Um, I, of course, did not understand or know anything about the novel coronavirus, which started in December of 2019 in Wuhan, China, and now has been spreading around the world. So while it's uh, worth watching, it's unclear if uh, public health authorities will succeed in containing it or whether it'll actually be as disruptive as feared. So it's worth watching. Prediction number 10. Oil rebounds in the face of American production disruptions and higher regulatory costs. OPEC eventually cuts production and tensions escalate in the Arctic over seemingly large resources. In the interim, low oil prices spur a transition to consumption-led growth in many emerging nations. Well, this is a tough one to gauge, but let's just talk about what's been happening in oil markets. Of course, the North American shale revolution and hydrocarbon explosion has resulted in a massive increase in supply. At the same time that there has been downside pressure on demand, the result has been lukewarm price action in the oil markets over the last few years. Some more volatility of late, um, but generally range-bound, if you will. In terms of... Uh, OPEC, they did in fact cut their production and uh, tensions have been escalating, albeit not in the Arctic. So I might have hit the uh, geography wrong, but tensions have been escalating in the Middle East. We know last year we had oil tankers being blown up. We had uh, oil facilities in Saudi Arabia exploding with missiles and drone attacks, etc. And so uh, the Middle East continues to feel like a tinderbox in my eyes. Um, but low oil prices have not proven to be as large a stimulus to emerging markets as I would have expected. Um, and that may be because the transition to consumer-led growth in some of these economies has been either falling behind or racing ahead. Um, and why do I say those two extremes? If it's falling behind, they may not need as much energy. And if it's racing ahead, they may be moving beyond hydrocarbon-based energy towards solar or, or alternative energies using electric vehicles or what have you. And so um, the oil dynamics are one to continue to watch, um, particularly as I fear tension in the Middle East. Number 11, Japan acknowledges its demographic problem and opens the doors to immigrants. It begins allowing Southeast Asian healthcare workers, parentheses, nurses from the Philippines, question mark, to care for the elderly. Sales of adult diapers surpass sales of child diapers by a healthy margin. So I think this was intended to be a provocative prediction relating to the demographic outlook for that country. And I think the one really interesting modification I would make to that prediction had I made it today would be that not that they open the door to Southeast Asian healthcare workers to help care for the old, but that Japan's demographic problem or supposed problem of shrinking uh, population at the aggregate level with a lot of old people uh, 
actually proves to be an asset rather than a liability. And I say that because the introduction of automated uh, services, robotics, and technology-led solutions is not nearly as socially disruptive in Japan as it would be in a country with lots of potential workers. Uh, robots are not replacing workers. They're filling the, the, the hole that exists because there's too few workers in Japan. And that dynamic allows them perhaps to leapfrog technologically ahead of those countries that have what some people would argue are better demographic profiles. So it's not clear to me. I think Japan actually may be a beneficiary of these technological developments, and their demographic situation may in fact prove to be an asset rather than a liability. Um, so we'll keep watching Japan. Number 12, Australia's uninterrupted multi-decade run of economic growth ends. Driven by the Chinese slowdown in investment spending, mining incomes drop, and the Australian housing market suffers. A recession is mitigated, possibly avoided, by a pickup in Asian tourism and a weaker Australian dollar. Well, Australia has continued to avoid the recessionary pressures that I thought they would be feeling. Um, they've done this um, through uh, perhaps some good policy, but also some good luck. Um, I do think the Chinese slowdown in investment spending will ripple through the mining sector um, and mining volatility has continued to be high. Um, the recession, I think it's coming. I think unfortunately Australia will likely feel a major impact from this coronavirus-led slowdown in China, uh, but that hasn't been felt in this 2015 to 2020 window. And so this prediction, I was wrong, but I do think the dynamics are pressure uh, and, you know, this, to, this scenario to happen here in the near future. Number 13, uh, Nicaragua stops construction of its 172-mile, $50 billion-plus cross-country canal as Chinese funding evaporates. Wang Jing's promise to employ 200,000 people and help the second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere emerge from poverty is broken, crushing Ortega's credibility. Well, that seems to be exactly what's happened. Uh, the canal was never built, the funding never arrived, and of course the jobs never came. And so um, I think we'll call that one a victory in terms of predictions, although it might have been an easier one to predict than some of the other dynamics. So let's move on. Number 14, ter terrorism strikes a previously considered, quote, safe, quote, place generating a new wave of defense security spending as nations scramble to, to assuage public safety concerns. Public calls for profiling and unconventional security increases. I then suggested a handful of cities where it might have transpired, such as Zurich, Dubai, Singapore, Mumbai, Toronto, or Beijing. Unfortunately, we did have the terrorist attacks in Paris, uh, and while I'm not happy about having been right here um, that did transpire and unfortunately that risk uh, probably still exists today um, I do think defense and security spending is on the rise cybersecurity for sure uh, cyber defense for sure but I do think governments are entering a new phase of defense spending where it's probably quite bullish um, for, for the global aerospace and defense market um, so we'll keep watching that. I think that one basically has come through. All right, and number 15, the final prediction. 
India becomes the fastest growing large economy in the world as Modi's reforms take hold. Getting a visa to India becomes easier for many, rates fall and stimulate consumer demand, but despite strong economic growth, the Sensex index does very little as valuations compress on rising earnings. Well, let's, uh, you can tell this was a time where I was drinking the Indian Kool-Aid. Uh, I later changed my opinion, but um, yes, this in fact happened. India was the fastest growing large economy in the world, so let's claim victory on that prediction. Um, but getting a visa was probably easier, yes. Rates did fall a little bit. Consumer demand was lukewarm. Um, maybe it was sort of increased from during that window. Uh, and the Sensex is probably up, I don't know, what, 30% or so over this window of time. And so in that sense, I've probably been wrong. Um, but I do think India is setting itself up for some real disappointment, uh, particularly for those emerging markets investors that think it might be the next China. Um, but we can watch that. So if we go back and review all 15 of these predictions, let's think about them for a moment. Uh, prediction number one was about cyber risks and what was happening in global boardrooms. And I think that's happened and is going to continue to happen. Number two, will Europe hold together? I think it started falling apart with Brexit. I think Italy's another candidate. And so I do feel like it's fraying, perhaps uh, separating, but you know we'll continue to watch it and see. Number four, food prices skyrocket. This definitely happened with Chinese pork. Will it happen in other segments because of weather or political disruptions is yet to be seen. We'll watch. Number four, Africa. Will it be considered as different countries and sort of tap its potential? I think the potential of Africa continues to be high and there's increasing focus on attracting talent from Africa. And so that part is maybe uh, progressing. As for whether the world can understand Africa as being a continent with very different countries, I'm not sure we're there yet. Uh, number five, a revolution in manufacturing robots. Yes, they're coming. Yes, they're taking jobs away. And yes, they're deflationary. Uh, so I think that will be the case. Uh, number six, central bankers struggle to end quantitative easing. I think we're feeling that right now. They don't know what to do when their policies don't work. The rates are low. Um, they don't have much ammunition. And so quantitative easing is likely the only path forward for many central banks. And that, I think, is going to be quite disruptive uh, to currency markets. And it could also drive gold to multi-year highs here. Um, number seven, Putin meddling. Yes, he has. Yes, he will. Um, whether it's uh, the poisoning of spies or supposed spies in the UK or, you know, his meddling in the US elections or uh, activities in Ukraine and Crimea, we know that Putin's become more and more aggressive. Uh, also Syria. Um, number eight, China posting a GDP growth below five. I think that's going to happen perhaps as early as this year. Um, Number nine, containment of Ebola, but a new pandemic emerges. Well, uh, novel coronavirus is, is present, and, and uh, we'll see where that goes. Uh, hopefully, we are able to contain it and uh, prevent the, the loss of life from it and loss of economic activity that could transpire as well. So uh, number 10, oil rebounding. That is unclear. Um, I think a slowdown in the global economy, whether it's driven by coronavirus or some other 
catalyst uh, should put the brakes on oil demand, at least temporarily. Uh, what OPEC does in the face of that is unclear. They probably cut. All right, uh, Japan, like I said, I think the demographic analysis that's historically uh, been conducted to evaluate the prospects for a country are proving to be completely upside down. The idea of a demographic dividend is no longer valid. Lots of young people are a liability as they need jobs, whereas lots of old people previously thought as of, thought of as an at, a liability are now potentially an asset because you can easily introduce robots and they aren't socially disruptive. So uh, number 12, Australia's risk of a recession. I think it's high. I was wrong on the five-year window. I thought it would happen, uh, but it feels more imminent today than it has in a while. Uh, number 13, Nicaragua. Well, yep, that project failed. Yes, with uh, number 14, we did have an attack in a place previously considered safe. That was in Paris. Uh, let's hope it doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. And then number 15, uh, India becoming the fastest growing large economy. Yes, that did transpire, although I do believe that India may emerge to be the single largest disappointment in the eyes of emerging markets investors in the future five-year view. So as we wrap up here, I thought I would just reflect on the value that I received from writing up these predictions. I know I can't be 100% accurate in these predictions, and I don't even try to be. What I'm really trying to do is lay out a set of futures with an S that may transpire. I think in terms of navigating uncertainty, that's really our best hope, to lay out a set of scenarios that could possibly take place, and then to think for ourselves. Because ultimately, that is our objective, to learn how to think for ourselves in the face of uncertainty. And so I hope listening to my predictions and possibly coming up with your own helps you to think for yourself. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Think for Yourself podcast. For more information, please do visit Dr. Mantramani's website at www.mansharamani.com or follow him on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Instagram. And of course, if you haven't done so already, we encourage you to purchase his book, Think for Yourself, which is available for pre-order on Amazon.